When you're a real estate company, you have to be aware of the history of real estate, which has, you know, in some cases been reprehensible. You have things like redlining, where you couldn't get a mortgage in neighborhoods that were deemed unsafe, which was kind of a code for being not white. It wasn't where white people live. And there's neighborhood segregation, a lot of other things that have happened in real estate. And so you need to build a team that, in my view, reflects America, reflects the people that you're trying to serve. Welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I've spent more than a decade really learning about technology, what makes it tick, and then describing and explaining that to my audience. But it's the conversations with the world's most unconventional thinkers, the leaders at the intersection of technology and business, that fascinate me the most. In partnership with T-Mobile for Business, I explore the unique set of challenges that CIOs and CTOs face from advancements in cloud and edge computing, software as a service, internet of things, and of course, 5G. We are often left wondering how the leading minds in business continue to thrive. Let's find out. Our guest today is Bridget Fry, Chief Technology Officer of Redfin. As Redfin's CTO, Bridget oversees technology integrations that aim to make the entire process of buying, selling, or renting a home as seamless as possible. At the same time, she works hard to improve diversity and inclusion on her team, opening up new opportunities for organizational success. I started off getting a bit more background on Bridget and how she came to love the field of tech and data analysis. Bridget, thank you so much for joining us on The Restless Ones. I am very pleased to have you here as my guest. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting to be here. And uh, I love to start off these conversations by learning a little bit more about the, the people I'm, I'm speaking with. And so I'm very curious what was it that sparked your love of technology? Was it an Apple computer? It was. You might you might know that story a little bit about it. So my dad is an appliance sales and repairman. And when I was five, he showed up at our house with this big box and he put it in the kitchen. And inside was an Apple IIe, this early Apple computer. And to him, it was really just like a dishwasher where you get the manual and you read the instructions and you figure out how to use it. And so my earliest experiences with, uh, with technology and computers was just learning to code with my dad. That's fantastic. Yeah, I also was teethed on an Apple II myself. So Apple you? II E. Yep. So That's I remember nice. the the Hello World and you know ten print. I yeah go logo to exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did all that. It is kind yeah. of more complicated since then. Yeah, yeah. Once my once I got beyond the basic programming language, things got out of my uh, wheelhouse pretty quickly. But uh, from what I understand, you really went down that pathway wholeheartedly. You know, your love was sparked early on. But when did you decide that this is something I actually want to study? Yeah, I think by the time I got to high school, I actually was really fortunate that we had a computer science class and a club that were operating in my high school. Um, now it's maybe more common, but I also had a female computer science teacher who was really inspirational to me. And so I think that those experiences helped to make me feel like I belonged in the tech industry um, at these formative years. And I also, you know, I was, I loved the idea of using algorithms and technology to solve problems. And so those things really crystallized for me by the time I was done with high school. I'm already fascinated by this story because we've heard the opposite so many times in the tech industry in general, right? That 
it tends to be an industry that sometimes on a good day, you could call unwelcoming to women in the field and to hear that you had the exact opposite experience and that's what inspired you. And now you're carrying that forward as a leader. So what was your experience like once you went to Harvard? Did you find that environment really welcoming as well? So it was lonelier when I got to Harvard in a way that maybe I should have known and didn't quite expect. That was when I started to feel more like the only or the few in the computer science classes. So there was really only a handful of women who were in my year majoring in computer science. And so I did, though, find, again, a, a professor, a female professor who uh, her name is Margot Seltzer, and she was also an inspiration to me. Um, she was actually not only teaching and going for tenure, but she was she founded a startup and she was also had a baby while I was at Harvard. And yet she still found time to spend with me and to mentor me and to help me through my career. And so I, it was this example to me of someone who somehow is really busy, but still makes time to help others. Phenomenal. I mean, that's an overachiever and a half to, <laughs> to be a professor, an entrepreneur, a, a mother and a mentor. I'm getting a feeling, a sense of what has shaped your philosophy, because as I've read about you uh, and your initiatives, it really was one of those things where I thought like, wow, this is this is a truly remarkable person. So hearing about these stories, I think I'm starting to get a picture of how that all kind of coalesced. Yeah, I think um, once I got later and I was trying to see, you know, what inspired me and I realized at some point in my career, oh, there are a lot of people out there who are looking to form their careers who are early like I used to be. And they're looking for examples that, you know, maybe maybe like me of how, how did I do this? How did I navigate this field? And it kind of pushed me out to, to get out there a little bit more and to try to find ways to help people who were like me a few years ago. Mm. What was your first job in the tech field? Yeah, so my, my first job was at a company called Plumtree Software, and they did, uh, it was called Corporate Portals. It's basically like an intranet that every company has now where you can connect to all your HR systems and all these things. But back then, it was this revolutionary idea. And, and so I love this idea that I could go in and work on business software and find ways to make a company work better through the work that I did. And that company was founded by Glenn Kelman, who's actually the CEO of Redfin, where I work now. And so he was someone that I ultimately followed to, to the place where I am at this point. So I'm just curious. So in, in your role working on that sort of corporate intranet portal, were you looking at all different elements of it? Were you specifically focused on user interface? What were you really concentrating on? Yeah, so I came in working on kind of backend systems. Mm -hmm. And about a year in, they somehow made me responsible for security. And I, you know, I was a year out of college. I, I guess I had a little idea of what I was doing, but you know, security. And so I was tasked with figuring out how would people log in and access the system? How would we authenticate and authorize permissions? And that was a really harrowing experience, trying to figure out how to architect that in a way that scaled and was secure. And so that helped to cement my love of backend systems. I kind of come from a data engineering, machine learning type of background. Those are the problems that I've most most worked on in my career. Yeah, talk about being thrown into the deep end. Uh, I love it. <laughs> so, so when did you join Redfin and in what capacity were you working there uh, when you first started? Yeah, so I joined about 10 years ago, and I joined to found our analytics engineering team, which was the first team to bring big data and machine learning into Redfin. And I looked at it as this goldmine opportunity. There is so much data in real estate, and Redfin has this really unique data set where not only do we have the number one brokerage website in the United States, we know what people are searching for, we know what they're clicking on, 
but we're a national real estate brokerage. So we know when people make offers, when they go on tours. I mean, just look at this unique data set that no one else has. You should be able to make machine learning algorithms that no one else can dream of that are more accurate and, and really help people figure out how to navigate real estate. So that was this big greenfield opportunity. And 10 years later, there's still all kinds of things we're working on. Well, and it's it's fascinating because about 10 years ago was when I think outside of the actual tech sphere, people first started hearing about the term big data, right? Yes. <laughs> and I think actually within the industry, there were tons of people who weren't really sure what the actual meaning behind big data was. And that's when we saw this explosion in uh, creativity and innovation in how to take that information, derive meaning from it, yes. and then project things from that. So it sounds to me like you were right there on the ground floor when that was when that was happening. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think kind of being skeptical of, you know, when do you really need a big data solution and when can your data just fit in a database? You know, you you have to kind of understand that as an engineer. And actually as the years have gone on, I mean, the, the support that's out there for big data, the, the algorithms that are available off the shelf through technologies like Amazon Web Services, all those things have gotten so much more available. You know, there are, there are algorithms that we're running now that would have been cost prohibitive just a couple of years ago when we didn't have the cloud and we didn't have some of these off the shelf services. So that's, that's created this opportunity for many more engineers to work at that kind of scale. So it's one of the common themes I've found as I've taught to different leaders is that identifying what's the outcome you want and then determining how do you achieve that outcome, whether it's a technological solution or otherwise. Yeah, you have to decide when you really want to be on the cutting edge of technology, because I think as you get experience, you realize being on the cutting edge, being the first company to try a new technology, it's not always that sweet. I mean, that's when there's things are untested, they don't work at scale, there are more bugs, and there are sometimes some more boring or prosaic solutions to the problem that you have. So I think that as an architect, as an architect develops, you really start to get a better sense for when to use the tried and true and when to really go out on a limb and try something that's new. That's an excellent point too. What was your journey to the role of CTO? Yeah, so a couple times in my career, I have moved between a number of different roles. So I've been a software developer, then a manager, then a program manager, product management, director. Like I, I've kind of moved between the roles. And each time I moved between them, I feel like it gave me empathy for what others were going through. So when I became a manager, I realized, oh, this is why you know my manager used to want me as a developer to really keep track of my work and estimate how long it was going to take and write down all the bugs. And so I, I think it gave me a bunch of empathy, but I kept being pulled to those experiences with my dad where I could get my hands dirty and, and really build things myself. And so every time I went into that kind of building role, I would find that the people around me would say, hey, Bridget, you know, could you just lead this one project or this team doesn't have a manager for a couple of months? Could you just kind of step in? And I kept feeling this kind of being called to leadership roles. And eventually I just, I guess, went with it. And so now I'm pretty solidly in that sort of a role, but sometimes still like to whiteboard things with the engineers. Well, I like that the siren's call of executive leadership was impossible to resist. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but also it's, it's incredibly valuable to have that experience where you have worked in a fair broad spectrum of the different roles so that you do have that understanding of what are the demands of that position? Where are the pain points? You've lived that so that you yeah. have a better understanding of how to communicate. I would hope so. Yeah, I think that when you can walk in someone's shoes, you just get a better sense for what they're going through. Right. And as you point out, empathy is a huge part of that, too. If you don't have that empathy 
you don't care, then you're really never gonna have a team that works as optimally as you would like. I wanted to learn more about Bridget's approach to leadership, including how she approaches fostering new leaders and improving team diversity. So first, let's get a little bit more of a, an understanding of the parameters we're talking about here. What's the size of your team at Redfin? Yeah, so my team's about 350 people right now, and it's everything from engineering, analytics, operations, quality. So, you know, there's a you know growing team that is trying to make sure we're building the right software for people who are trying to buy and sell homes, and then for our real estate agents who need to help them with getting into the best home for them. Mm. So if, if you were to define what your primary responsibilities as CTO are, how do you frame that? So sometimes I think of it like I have two jobs almost where one is to be a leader of the engineering team and to set our architecture vision and how are we going to make technical decisions? How are we going to grow the team? But then my other job is as a member of the executive team where we're really trying to look at the whole strategy for Redfin as a business and, you know, how, how is engineering serving those other executives? But also, you know, how are we going to talk to our investors about the vision? How are we going to choose where to grow the company from a business perspective. So they're kind of two different roles and you kind of have to tell, tell yourself, okay, now I'm in the role of engineering leader and now I'm acting as an executive and be able to go back and forth. Gotcha. When we're in a world where we can have casual cocktail parties again and someone turns to you and say, and so what do you do for a living? Is that sort of the answer you give or do you have like the elevator pitch version? That's kind of what I say. I mean, every day is really different. I think when you work in an executive role. So sometimes people will say, you know, what's a typical day like? And it's so hard to answer that at this point. I think, you know, I have to, I have to be able to figure out what Redfin needs for me, what the team needs for me at any given day and really try to ruthlessly prioritize so that I'm helping people to do their best work. We had such a, a monumentally disruptive year in 2020. Out of curiosity, how did the pandemic affect your role and process at Redfin? In what ways did you have to pivot or adapt? Yeah, it, it almost felt like we were kind of replanning our strategy every couple of weeks for a while there. So at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we saw demand really drop where it didn't look like people were interested in buying and selling homes for a period of time. And it got to the point where we actually had to furlough a significant chunk of our real estate agents and do a small layoff. It, we took pay cuts at headquarters. It was very painful to go through that. We hadn't really lived through something like that before. Uh, but then within a few weeks, all of a sudden, there were all kinds of people who wanted to move. I think looking at this opportunity for remote work as a chance to reset so we've seen, you know, the, the interest in places like Boise and Bend has doubled since the pandemic started. So we have a lot more people looking to move to those areas. About 31% of people on our site are looking to move to another area. And so we had to figure out, all right, well, how do we help these people do this? And we had to almost overnight switch to being a fully virtual brokerage. And that's something we've been working on for a long time. How do you virtualize parts of real estate? You know, we have 3D walkthroughs so you can walk through a home online. We have uh, direct access where you can put a smart lock on a house and click a button on your phone and get into a home and all these kind of ways of virtualizing the experience. But we had to almost overnight switch our entire business to that. It was like the future came early. And so that was a huge pivot for the team. Mm. As the saying goes, necessity is the mother of invention. There's, sure there's nothing like a global pandemic to really <laughs> kick things into high gear when it comes to uh, figuring out how to respond to that so that you can meet the needs and expectations of your customers 
and have the, the most minimal impact on business at the same time. So pretty phenomenal stuff. If there's one thing most businesses can agree on these days, it's that change has never come about so quickly. New ways of working have become the norm. As a result, the status quo no longer cuts it when it comes to helping businesses adapt and innovate. That's why T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to help businesses work smarter and grow faster. Only T-Mobile offers America's largest and fastest 5G network. It's just one reason they're better able to help businesses solve the real-world challenges they face as they evolve. For instance, their new WFX solutions help team members stay connected and productive where work happens. With nearly two and a half times the network coverage of AT&T, nearly four times more than Verizon, and $40 billion invested in network and business improvements over the next three years. T-Mobile for Business is better for your business right now and into the future. See what they can do for your organization at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional. Open Signal awarded T-Mobile fastest 5G network based on average speeds. USA 5G user experience report January 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. You're known specifically for, for working to kind of break down the barriers for women who are trying to enter into technical fields. So how do you define your sort of philosophy and approach to that? Yeah, when I when I joined Redfin 10 years ago, I was the only woman on the Seattle engineering team. And today we're 36% women, we're 10% Black or Latinx on our tech team. And so, you know, the numbers don't reflect America yet, but they're they're moving in the right direction. And I think that in order to get there, we have had to look at every part of how we recruit, how we onboard, how we bring people into the organization, how we promote, how we pay. It's, I've almost thought of myself as a diversity mechanic where you're kind of, you know, looking at all the little parts of the system and just tweaking one little thing and seeing if it will unlock some potential in your team. And you have to rejoice when you get one little thing working, even though you're, all, all kinds of things have to happen in order to build a diverse and inclusive team, but you have to celebrate the the wins along the way. Well, and can you kind of put into words what you find, what value you find in increasing diversity? Like, yeah. So, I mean, we're a real estate business, right? And so when you're a real estate company, you have to be aware of the history of real estate, which has, you know, in some cases been reprehensible. You have things like redlining where you couldn't get a mortgage in neighborhoods that were deemed unsafe, which was kind of a code for being not white. It wasn't where white people live. And there's neighborhood segregation, a lot of other things that have happened in real estate. And so you need to build a team that, in my view, reflects America, reflects the people that you're trying to serve so that you can bring in folks who are going to look at aspects of your business and say, well, that's a place where you could have bias. That's something that we should avoid doing and make sure that that's part of how you're growing the company. And I'm so glad you said that because one of the things we'll be talking about a little bit more is machine learning and artificial intelligence. And one of the big ongoing conversations in that field is how do you build these systems and minimize the entry of unintentional bias? So hearing that, and also just knowing that by inviting more voices to the table, you get perspectives you otherwise never would have had. Yep. And that, that you can't benefit from something if you don't know about it. Absolutely. So. You can build a stronger business. You know, I, I moved a lot when I was a kid. I lived in five different states and seven different homes before I turned 18. 
And so when I came to Redfin, it was kind of this opportunity to help families like mine. But when I started, I realized that Redfin actually wasn't, it hadn't um, launched in all of those places that I lived as a kid. All of those homes that I lived in were, you know, maybe lower income areas or areas where Redfin had expanded. We were mostly in coastal markets. And so one of the things when I joined was, hey, why don't we go into all these areas that we're not serving and do a really big expansion push? And so that was one of the things that I really fought for and that we've since done is really becoming a much more national brokerage. And that's created, you know, a huge business and revenue opportunity. I think when you can access talent that other people aren't using, it gives you opportunities to grow your business in ways that other companies can't. Mm. And when you are looking at developing teams and developing leaders, what are the qualities that you look for? What are the things that stand out that make you say, this is what is a perfect fit for a leadership role? Yeah, so we're looking for a couple different things. I mean, one is just, is this someone who gets results? Is this someone who can lead a team to win? Um, that is an important part of business. But we're also looking for a leader who is collaborative by nature, who can bring out all the voices in the room and make sure that there's a way to hear all of those voices. And that, that's a really tricky thing to do in a world where, you know, some people are more or less extroverted. Some people, based on their background, are more or less comfortable going up against a leader. And so you need to find ways, though, to bring out all of that talent you have and then make a decision. So we're looking for people who can foster that kind of environment. Well, can you tell me about a project you've worked on at Redfin that you're particularly proud of and maybe walk us through from ideation to execution? Yeah. So one thing I've been excited about recently is that Redfin is now getting into the rental space. So this was a project that my team and I worked on for many years, just saying, you know, if our mission is to redefine real estate in the consumer's favor, we know that there are people who are considering whether to rent or buy or rent or sell. And we were not able to serve all of those customers. So we had started putting in some plans, you know, how could we build a rentals business ourselves? And that eventually turned into looking at M&A and then acquiring RentPath, which we did just a couple of months ago. And so we now have, we're now in a rentals business. RentPath operates rent.com and apartmentguide.com. And we now have this business that we can integrate with Redfin to really help to solve that whole consumer problem. And so that was a project that went on for many years and there's still plenty of work to do because, you know, all we've done at this point was is acquire RentPath. Now we actually have to deliver on that vision. Cool. Well, let's transition over to talking about one of my favorite things, which is just emerging technology, maturing technology. We touched on one with big data and your your journey over the last 10 years. Do you have any other perspectives on big data? I mean, we talked a little bit about how the tools to process big data are becoming more accessible and we're starting to see uh, providers, like various third-party providers come up with tools. Are there any other things about big data that just leap out at you as like, this is really important? Yeah, I, th I think this idea of, you know, what is a home worth is incredibly interesting. You know, there have been online estimates that have come out over the last few years. You know, Redfin has the most accurate online home value estimate where, you know, we're, we're more than twice as likely to be within 3% of the final sale price. And so, you know, when you think about if you know better than anyone else, what is a home worth? What kinds of businesses can you build? So not only have we used that to help our listing agents help a seller price their home accurately, but we've also now started a business called Redfin Now, basically an iBuying business where we purchase homes, we renovate them and put them back on the market. And so their pricing is all about, 
you know, what, what's the right amount to pay for that home? What would it be worth if you did different kinds of renovations? How long will it be on the market once you go and sell that? But if you can figure that out better than anyone else, you can really win at that type of business. So I think pricing is this huge opportunity still in the industry. Well, and that makes me curious because, I mean, so I, I've been through the process of buying a home a couple of times. And the first time I did it, it was a very different world because back when I first bought a, a house, the idea of a, a smart home was the thing of Tex Avery cartoons, right? Yep. It was like big robot arms coming out and helping you get dressed and that kind of thing. But now we're actually in a world where we're seeing a, a lot more integrations of smart home technology. Are your approaches to pricing, are you starting to look at things like that about how integrated technology can play a part in a home's value? Yeah, we, we are looking at those sorts of things. And we're, we're also looking at ways that a smart home can lead to you know, a better ability to sell a home quickly. So we have a feature called direct access where we'll put a smart lock on a home. And we find that when we put a smart lock on a home, that home gets twice as many tours. So that's twice as many folks who are walking through your home and trying to get an opportunity to actually go and buy that. And so when you look at how that can help to sell a home, I mean, it's there's huge opportunities there in the industry. That's fascinating to me. Like that's a legit one-to-one -one sort of approach of saying, here's a, here's a particular smart technology that you wouldn't necessarily associate with a fully integrated smart home. It's not like the crazy entertainment system and you know all the appliances are integrated. And yet you can point to that one data point and say, we see from just the number of tours that this is a big component that inspires people to check this out. I think that brings up, how are people going to look at the trade-offs between privacy and having mm -hmm. a fully smart home? Like as you get into things like 5G and opportunities for just a lot more devices, sending a lot more data from your home, is that going to you know increase that conversation that people are having about under what circumstances are they willing to share data about what's happening within your home? That's the place where you live. And you know, you, you hear that tension that's going on right now. And so I'm really interested to see how those things develop. I think, like you're saying, there are many homeowners who want the promise. They want what was promised in the Jetsons and all these old sci-fi shows and things. But, uh, but you have to figure out what the right balance is for privacy as well and all those things. I agree. And, you know, finding out those spots where you think, okay, this is a value added proposition if I go with this. Well, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the technologies that you're using at Redfin in order to to do what you do? Yeah, so so we're we're right now in this situation where we have multiple businesses that are ready to scale at once. When I joined 10 years ago, we were really primarily a brokerage business, but since then we've launched a mortgage business where we built the whole loan origination system, title insurance business, Redfin Now, where we buy homes, um, fix them up, put them back on the market. And so the engineering team is in the situation where we're trying to figure out how to scale all of those businesses at once. And while Redfin as a business has to adapt to that, you know, who's involved and which decisions and how do you separate out the revenue and all those sorts of things, the technology team is trying to figure out how do we set up our systems to scale with the business? Where should we separate into services and where should things be sharing the same backend technology? So that's presenting a really interesting architecture challenge. You know, many companies have gone through this kind of scale and we're going through it right now. And we have to find our own way to set up an architecture that's going to work for our business. I can only imagine that this is complicated exponentially by the fact that obviously you're dealing with 
real estate in vastly different regions. Each ones have different price points, different average home values. Yes, real estate is a very local business. And it's one of the first things you kind of realize when you get into the space that a lot of these approaches that have worked for, you know, national scale websites, they just fall apart when you realize that your algorithms and your real estate agents and your whole business has to understand, well, what's it like to buy a home in Albuquerque? It doesn't matter what the you know lowest common denominator is across the whole the whole country, you have to be able to serve the customers in Albuquerque. So there's a lot of considerations in how we built our technology to make sure that we can bring in that local voice at the appropriate time. That to me is phenomenal. The idea of having to build in that ability for localization. It makes me think of completely different industries that often have to look at localization if you're talking about maybe a software product where you need to have a team specialized in localization for that. But or something where you're talking about localization within a single country, that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and yeah, it's almost in some ways more like a retail business to grow a real estate business because you almost you, you really have to understand what the consumers in that one particular part of the country need. Bridget has an innovative and yet pragmatic approach to integrating technology. I really wanted to hear her thoughts on emerging and maturing tech and how those might play a part in Redfin's business moving forward. So Kubernetes is one that we're really investing in right now. So that's it's related to that strategy that I talked about to make sure that we can support multiple growing businesses and have a really well-defined services architecture layer. So Kubernetes is helping us to do that and you know, hopefully to do that in a way that's neutral about different cloud platforms over time where you know, we can choose what the right place is to deploy our software based on cost and performance and many other factors. Yeah, I think you're the first person to talk about Kubernetes on this podcast. Oh, am I? All right. Well, so we're, we are on, I would say, a cusp of another data explosion, right? Because we are in the era of the Internet of Things and we're seeing this proliferation of devices connecting to networks that are just constantly collecting data from whatever sensors are attached there. And now we're also seeing the rollout of 5G, which is supporting incredible throughput of data with low latency. How does that future impact you? Or is that something more that you would experience as a consumer as opposed to someone incorporating it into your work? So I, I think, I mean, real estate is so data intensive with, you know, photos and video and, you know, potentially at some point sensors that could tell you the air quality, the sound quality of a home. There are things that people are looking for information about homes that they typically can't get without visiting the home. And so I think as we see more interconnectedness, maybe that that data can feed into a real estate site and a real estate business for sure. But I also look at, you know, that... Like we're talking about 5G over here, but there's still 20 million Americans that don't have access to broadband. There are many more who are not able to afford broadband access. The pandemic has really exposed this kind of two Americas um, in, in this way about who can get onto the internet and who can't. And that really affects a business like ours as well, because when we send someone to a home, we send a real estate agent with an app that they can use to help their customer learn about the home and the area. You know, we have the smart locks, we have all these things, and those technologies don't work when you're in an area that doesn't have uh, either broadband or, or cell phone support. So I'm still kind of looking at that as a huge opportunity in America to really bring internet to everyone. And I think you'll see like an explosion of other technologies as they reach more people. I agree. Uh, the digital divide is a very real thing. We see that in lots of communities across the United States. I'm sure that you have 
far greater insight into that than even I do. So seeing this rollout where we're getting greater uh, penetration in areas, I'm hopeful that it goes far beyond urban centers and starts to reach those communities that otherwise tend to be either unserved or underserved so that then we can really talk about what these connected technologies can can do once everyone has a seat at that table. And we may see this kind of, you know, digital nomad trend as that accelerates really, you know, people who want to live in that, the, the rural part of Georgia that you're talking about on a lake or, you know, and, and they're finding that there's no internet. It could be that those folks who have an opportunity to work remotely may start to push for, for internet in addition to the people who are already living in that community. And that could help to accelerate this trend, but we'll have to see. That's interesting. Yeah, because that makes me think of people who are early adopters to technology. And those are the ones who ultimately, because they're adopting the tech, help bring accessibility and bring down the price of that tech for, you know, normal schmoes like me. Well, are there any technologies that you are hoping that you can incorporate into Redfin's approach in the short term future? Yeah, so I mean, we're there's, there's just so many things that we're working on. Um, I mean, I'm, I am really excited to bring rentals in. Um, I'm very excited about our mortgage business. So mortgage is another area that's just really ripe for innovation and new approaches. And because we've built our own loan origination system, it's giving us some opportunities to look for ways to digitize parts of the process that really have never been digitized before and to get you know better efficiency and to offer a better mortgage product and price point for our customers over time. So that's another area that we're really investing in. Um, it's a lot of yeah, looking at ways to build what we call you know the complete real estate solution where we can bring in a lot of very complicated pieces of the business at a technical layer so that a consumer can have a relationship with Redfin and we can help them with their whole move. Everything you're saying is resonating so deeply with me right now (laughs) (laughs) because that process is incredibly stressful and having a tool or set of tools that are actively or even proactively helping you through that process, that's just such an incredible thing to have at your disposal. And many people who are buying or selling a home, they realize there are gaps between all of the people who are trying to help you get through that, um, that the lender doesn't know the agent, doesn't know the title insurance person, and there's paperwork that's lost. You have to duplicate it. People are still faxing paperwork. You know, there's, there's all these things that are happening. And so, you know, when we bring all of those businesses under one roof, you know, your agent is able to help you through that whole process and all the people who are there um, supporting them are integrate using the same technology. They're all integrated. So, you know, and, and every time where we build a feature that helps make a real estate agent more efficient, I just think, well, now the real estate agent can spend more time with the customer, you know, instead of faxing documents or splitting PDFs into multiple sections, that agent can really sit down and understand a customer and what they're really looking for. And over time, you know, we're just, we're just chipping away at that. We're giving the agent their day back. It's the promise of technology, right? The idea that technology will take the parts of our our duties that are the most time consuming, often the least fulfilling, and be able to offload that so that we can focus more on the things that are fulfilling, that are meaningful to us. That's also one of the things I absolutely love about well-implemented tech. I couldn't let Bridget go without asking her one more thing. What keeps you up at night? Seems like we're finding more ways as a planet to have these kind of global problems that we're going to need to find ways to collaborate on. I mean, the pandemic has exposed it, climate change, plastics. There's there's so many things that 
we're going to have to find ways as a planet to solve together. And so I, I hope we're able to find ways that, you know, communities and, and smaller parts of the planet can solve problems that we can then use to apply to the larger ones. Well, you're clearly a very empathetic person. So that's the sort of answer I would have anticipated and, and one I can certainly identify with. Bridget, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. What I took away from Bridget is that a strong CTO really can't focus exclusively on technological solutions. A great CTO has to be an advocate for their team and to make certain that the projects they launch support the organization as a whole. Bridget's incorporation of empathy and leadership with identifying the right technological solutions comes across as a holistic approach to achieving goals. And honestly, hearing about a company that's dedicated to making the process of buying a home less arduous goes a long way in my book. Thank you for listening to The Restless Ones. Be sure to tune in to future episodes, where I'll have more conversations with leaders in tech who are shaping the future of how technology and business intertwine. I'm Jonathan Strickland. These days, new ways of working have become the norm, and the status quo no longer cuts it when it comes to helping businesses evolve and grow. That's why T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to help businesses seize innovation. Only T-Mobile offers America's largest and fastest 5G network, which makes their new WFX solutions possible, letting businesses stay connected and productive where work happens. See what T-Mobile for Business can do for you at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional. Open Signal awarded T-Mobile fastest 5G network based on average speeds. USA 5G user experience report January 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some users may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. 